Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Today we've got an episode that the three of us have really been looking forward to. We've talked about it a few times and we finally pulled the trigger to get Aaron Wilson to come talk to us about some of these wives' tales that we hear about the weather. And so thanks to you guys for helping us out on social media and submitting your favorites. We've got quite a few to get through today. So thanks, Aaron, for joining us. And we're going to go ahead and kick it off. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here. So I guess the first one and the teaser we put out there on social media is if it rains while the sun's shining, it's going to rain the same time tomorrow. Yeah, so this is an interesting one and certainly one my, my grandmother always talked about and, and mentioned. And she was not, you know, a, meteorolog- uh, a, meteor- a meteorologist by training by any means. Uh, but but there's a, quite a bit of truth in that, you know, in the spring and summertime when the sun's out, um, but it's raining, it's indicating, you know, high levels of humidity. Uh, and generally, you're in a condition or in a state where uh, each day is very similar to the previous day. And, and you're in a, a, what we call a convective environment uh, where the uh, heat is, is causing the convection, these thunderstorms to develop or, or showers to develop. And it's likely that the following day will be very similar uh, to to the conditions that you're experiencing on that particular day as well. So anecdotally, it certainly has panned out for me throughout my lifetime as I you know watch some of these signs from our natural environment of uh, conditions and, and how they apply to weather forecasting for sure. So that's always been a really fun one for me. And you know, just being here today, being able to talk about some of these things are really exciting. Uh, and I and I think you know the listeners are gonna are are gonna get a feel for some common themes here. Uh, a lot of it having to do with the timing of some natural growth stages and uh, certainly cloud development. We've used clouds to predict the weather for, for ages. Uh, also atmospheric pressure changes. I know a lot of you feel those changes in your joints and certainly uh, can let us know when those storms are coming by. But generally we just love predicting weather. Uh, we love predicting winter weather. And as, we'll, as we'll see here, a lot of these old wives tales really have to do with you know, predicting winter weather or, or other things like that. So really, really fun topic and glad to be here today. Excellent. So you mentioned the themes and what we saw in the ones that we were finding and that were submitted is that they really break down into three categories. So using the critters around us to predict weather, using the plants and trees around us, and then using other weather to predict future weather. So we're going to start off with critters. And this one is one of my favorites growing up. I always remember going out trying to find those woolly worms to see if we were going to have a good snowy winter so that we could go snowmobiling or sledding. So what kind of truth is there in that, Aaron? Yeah, I'm right there with you. You know, the woolly worms or woolly bears are certainly uh, something that that I've watched my entire life. And and unfortunately, I I never got to meet uh, Gil Whitney. He was the meteorologist for Channel 7 WHIO out of the Dayton area. And he actually had the woolly worm club and patches out there that I'd love to get a hand, my hands on one. Basically, you've got this caterpillar that based on how the, the bands of color are aligned on, 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 the, on this woolly bear can, can give you clues in terms of the severity of the upcoming winter. So typically, we're looking for those dark black bands. The longer those dark black bands are, the colder, snowier, more severe uh, the winter will be. Uh, we look for those middle brown bands, uh, which are often associated with the upcoming winter, at least according to the folklore, uh, and also the positions, you know, uh, of those bands as well. Um, 
you know, thinking just, just the idea or the concept of thinking about how those colors align, whether at the front of the woolly bear, or the back of the woolly bear, or in the middle, how that would align with, with parts of, of the winter season. And this really comes out of the, the 13 segments to this woolly bear body, maybe associated with the 13 weeks of winter. Uh, so you can see this, this one's really rich, you know, rich in tradition, rich in thought. Uh, but to be honest with you, you know, it really doesn't have a lot of scientific backing in terms of predicting the season uh, to come. It has more to do uh, with the season that the woolly bears just experienced. And so their coloring really is based on where, where and how they've been feeding, their age, the types of different species there are. There are many species of these. Particularly, we're talking about the woolly bear, although other species have been used. So it's more about the, the previous season and how big uh, the, the woolly worm became because of the, the growth and the food availability. Uh, as well. So unfortunately, it doesn't have a lot of, I would say, accuracy for the upcoming prediction uh, prediction of the winter season, but it's still always one that I'll, I'll carry in my heart. Yeah, you're going to break a lot of people's hearts on that one, Aaron. <laughs> we had one submitted from Bryson on Twitter, um, flies biting means rain. Yeah, so, uh, you know, as we get into to spring and summer again and those flies come out uh there's there's quite a bit of truth to this you know uh this kind of is in the realm of those uh the detection basically of changes in our in our environment that animals and insects are pretty perceptive uh, on and, and generally changes in pressure falls is going to you know atmospheric we're talking about atmospheric pressure here and as that pressure falls it's it's typically indicating that low pressure or a system is is coming rain is likely to fall and so you know animals and insects like flies they they detect these these pressure changes and certainly seek out the moisture which unfortunately they take they take out of us as they're impulsed really to feed based on these changes in the atmospheric pressure so another one that was submitted multiple times on Twitter by Bryson and John was that if you see snakes or turtles crossing the road away from water, that means that it's going to rain. And if you see them crossing the road towards water, it means that it's not going to rain. So what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, Elizabeth, this one was a little bit interesting. I mean, I, I may have heard this one in the past. I, I didn't recall it re really well. So I was thinking about it and maybe thinking more about turtles for sure. But, you know, if we think about these are uh, creatures that tend to spend uh, their time around wetter, wet environments, there, there could be uh, some, some truth to this regionally, depending on some, so, you know, in some areas of the country, turtles will obviously migrate toward ponds and water uh, during summertime. But during the, the fall, the autumn season, they're migrating away from the ponds. And that's when the, the rain is, is returning. So it's a little bit opposite, I would say, here regionally, depending on where you are. Beyond just thinking, you know, they, you know, they really like the water. I, I, I can't really come up with any scientific evidence to really support this. But, you know, all of these, it's important to remember, you know, all of these are through our own experiences. So anything that we can use to be a, to be a better predictor of weather, I would say, I would encourage us to use those, you know, from, from a hobby standpoint. I thought this one was kind of cool because it has a little bit of validity. If a goose honks high, fair weather. If a goose honks low, foul weather. Can you explain that one? 
again, this has, has to do with atmospheric pressure and where that pressure is best, basically, for the flight of a goose. It has to do with the altitude, obviously, of where these geese are flying. So high altitude is an in- indication that generally there's higher barometric pressure. With higher barometric pressure, we tend to have clear skies, sunny skies, uh, fairer weather, and so those, those geese are flying at a higher altitude. Uh, there's, there's some discussion that you can find on optimal air, optimum air density, so air density helping, you know, aiding in the flight of, of the geese and, and flight in general. So, uh, but under low altitude, you know, or I should say under barometric pressure conditions that are lower, uh, you know, poor weather is foretold. Basically, they're, they're flying at lower altitude. If the pressure is low, again, that means that we're, that, that a system is close by or overhead, and we're likely to see, for the lack of a better term, this pun, the foul weather, and geese will be flying lower uh, with that optimum air density. That's really cool. When they line up, it, it's so fascinating. It makes you wonder if some of these that are wrong are just we've screwed them up as we've passed them down over the years, and they were accurate to start off with. Yeah, like a game of telephone, for sure. <laughs> so the next two we have um, deal with frost, one at the beginning of the season and one at the end. So let's start with the beginning of the season. The one submitted was the first time you hear frogs, there's going to be three more frosts. Yeah, you know, there's there's uh, some good validity to this. You know, we think about different frog species that come out in the springtime, and our spring peepers are usually among the first. Uh, and this this early frog species, it comes out, you know, depending on the locations here in Ohio, March, April. And and generally, we're seeing the last of our, our nights below freezing there in April, at least through the first three weeks. And so, you know, I would I would say that there's this is a good ballpark uh, wives tale here. It goes along with the uh, three snows after the forsythia bloom. Again, with the forsythia tending to be, you know, those yellow bushes uh, that you see flowering early in the spring. Typically, after they, they, they bloom, we have about three snows that, and, and I do count them every year. I, I, I try to get a good count of those. Uh, but certainly, you know, these are early spring signs. And so we can use those to estimate how many more frosts or snows we have to follow. And so then the other one about frost was submitted by Clint via Twitter, and he said that he's heard that the first frost is going to occur about six weeks after you first hear cicadas. Yeah, I have a little bit of trouble with this one uh, from a scientific standpoint. Just, I don't think any of us really want to see frost in mid-August. And and again, this could be a regional thing, you know, depending on where you are. Maybe it was from a higher latitude somewhere up north. Uh, But this, you know, here in Ohio, we typically see our seasonal cicadas emerge around the, or at least we start hearing them around the end of June, the 1st of July. So six weeks would put us mid-August. And I don't think any of us really want to see our first frost in mid-August. So um, again, it could, it could have some, uh, some validity in other areas of, of the world uh, or, or country, but not necessarily here in Ohio. Sorry, Clint, for the sake of all of our farmers, <laughs> I, I hope that this wives' tale is, is inaccurate. <laughs> So this next one kind of combines uh, critters and plants as we transfer into some of our predictions based on our plants and trees. Don't plant corn until oak tree leaves are as big as a squirrel's ear. (laughs) We kind of got a kick out of this one because it's like, well, how big is a squirrel's ear? And maybe that goes back to when we had more people hunting squirrels and getting a closer look at them or something. So Amanda, you're not you're not out there measuring your squirrel's ears each spring. <laughs> no. 
really are about typical timing, um, or at least timing in the past under predictable seasons and different crop varieties than we have now for sure, different farm management techniques. You know, a lot of things have, have allowed us to plant earlier or, or different hybrids and things like that, but there's a lot of validity to these. So, you know, when we get, you know, an oak leaf about the, that size of a squirrel's ear, hey, it's, it's time to plant the corn. There are a lot of others that we can think about. There's, there's sayings with uh, red-winged blackbirds, for instance, the females returning, hey, it's time to plant peas. Uh, when chickadees build their nests, it's time to plant peas and spinach. Uh, when dandelions are blooming, you know, that typically occurs in early spring. It's time to plant potatoes, beets, lettuce, spinach, and carrots. These are cold, you know, cold. we start these out in the colder season, of colder period of spring. Um, and, and so there's a lot of validity here to the timing of things. Uh, planting beets, lettuce, spinach when lilacs are in their first leaf. You know, we just all of these signs that we can look out to nature to say, hey, you know, this was original farm management techniques, uh, horticultural techniques tied to the things that we're seeing out there and certainly tied to the at least the past weather patterns that we had across the region. Yeah, that's really cool. And I like these ones that really line up and shows the history of how people paid attention to the things around them to help make good decisions. Uh, when they were getting ready to plant their garden or even their crops. So this next one I like because I've been looking out the window a lot so far this summer, hoping that it would rain. And so at Grain Surgeon on Twitter said that he's heard that if you see leaves flipped over on the trees, it means it's going to rain. Yeah, this is a, a pretty good indication, a, a pretty good sign here. Uh, this is notorious. Uh, maples and poplars are notorious for this. They they are reacting essentially to an increase usually a, a pretty rapid increase in humidity. Uh, their soft stems then tend to kind of limp up a bit and then the wind also can help them turn over. So uh, I've always looked at this as well and I'm really quick to look at the silver maples. Uh, wh when I know a thunderstorm's come in and I take a look at them and sure enough, those are almost always flipped over. So I, that, one, that one has you know, some good truth to it and certainly something that, that we can use. Well, I think I'm going to start looking at the tree in my front yard then every afternoon instead of the radar because maybe that will help me not get my hopes up for these storms that keep breaking up around us. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. So my grandparents had a Christmas tree farm and my grandma always said when the pine cones were high in the trees, then we'd get a lot of snow. Yeah, Ed, I, I, I've heard a lot of variations on this. Um, I grew up looking at the squirrels' nests in, in the fall uh, to see how high those squirrels' nests were. Uh, you can also look at wasp nest and hornet's nest and see how high they were. Plants generally predicting the future weather, it's, it's not strongly supported from any scientific background. Again, most of these are reflective of past conditions. Uh, also, I just think, you know, squirrels are deciding where the strongest branches are and the strongest location. Um, and, and, you know, where, where they can build their nest free of predation and things like that. So uh, that that is always, I think, part part of, of what's happening. But this just goes to show, you know, the passion and love that we really have for weather. Weather is intricately tied to all of our lives. And, um, you know, whether we think about it, we've been shaped by the weather. And, and that curiosity of why things are occurring and, and can we actually predict, you know, what's going to happen next. I know we always get, you know, from a from meteorologist standpoint, we always get blamed for being wrong a lot of the time. But, you know, we've always been trying to predict the weather for for 
a really long time here. So these are always fun to look at for sure. I only blame you for being wrong about half the time, Erin. <laughs> so we're going to switch over now to our last category, which is using weather that we're seeing now to predict weather that's coming. And so John on Twitter submitted one saying that when you see a halo around the moon, it means that it will rain soon. I like that one, especially because it rhymes. <laughs> but what are your thoughts on this one, Aaron? Yeah, this one's definitely pretty accurate. So typically a halo around the moon is indicating some ice crystals uh, way up in the atmosphere. Um, these are our cirrus clouds that move in and they're typically, they move in ahead of a warm front or a low pressure system 18 to 24 hours ahead of that system. And so when we see those halos around the moon, it's a good indication that that rainfall is moving in. So I, I like this one. Um, and, and every time I see it, I point it out to my little ones for sure. So this is, this is uh, the one that I, I, I put a lot of stock in. That's pretty cool. Another one submitted on Twitter by Bryson was rain 90 days after a fog. I really hope that isn't true because that's a long time to go without rain. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Then this is a, a pretty common one that you hear uh, trying, to, trying to use fog as a predictor. Uh, there's no real scientific basis for a, a rainfall 90 days after a fog, although there could be some seasonality there. Um, you know, August is usually a month here in Ohio where we see quite a few fogs. And so if you think 90 days after August, you know, things are typically starting to moisten back up across the region, even with our seasonal droughts. So, you know, I, I'm not going to say there's there's no basis here, but that's something to consider. Fogs in August can also be used or have been used from folklore perspective to count the number of, of snowy days that you'll have in the wintertime. So the number of fogs in August tied to the, the number of snowstorms. Again, there's no way that fog in August is going to accurately predict that, but who's to say that, that some folks haven't used that in the past. So, you know, we're, we're using weather for a lot, current weather to kind of predict things out into the future. You think about, you know, a lot of these coming, coming from sailors, for instance, you know, red sky by morning, sailors take warning. If we think about this part of the, the, the country, you know, we've got most of our weather coming from the west, moving west to east. So uh, in the morning, if there's a red sky, you know, you've got your sun coming up in the east. It's causing a red hue on the clouds in the west, so that storm is likely moving in. But in the evening time, you know, sun setting in the west, casting red hue through that low atmospheric angle on the east, that, those rain clouds have likely moved away. Um, so, so we use, you know, we use weather to kind of predict, or we've known for a long time, you know, how weather moves across certain areas. Um, and, and there's, there's a lot of others, you know, that we think about mackerel skies and mares tails make tall ships carry low sails. Uh, thinking about, you know, alto cumulus clouds and mares tails, again, both being good signatures for what things are like to be likely to be in 24 to 36 hours with a warm front or a low pressure system. So it's a really accurate prediction and a great technique to use when you're outdoors and you're camping and you don't have a weather forecaster with you. And so the last one we're going to go over is one that Clint submitted, but it is one that I hear every spring on Twitter. And that is if it rains on Easter Sunday, we can expect rain for the next seven Sundays. Yeah, this is, I think, a very, uh, this is human nature sometimes to be a bit pessimistic, right? So can we predict the next seven Sundays uh, after Easter? Not, I, I would say that the validity of this is very low. I mean, first of all, our Easter date changes. There's uh, more of a, a fanciful feel here. It's the fact that it rains a lot in spring. Um, you know, April showers bring May 
showers as well most of the time along with the flowers and so this idea that yeah if it rains on easter guess what it's going to rain again for the foreseeable future and i think that's really the background of where this came from so we can't predict you know rainfall falling that far out ahead of time just based on rainfall um, like we can day to day with 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 certain rainfall events but but certainly this one's a little bit tougher of a stretch it seems like the last two years we've almost made it to those seven Sundays after Easter. Um, is, much is that a too. good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> well, the first few I would have wished it didn't rain, and then the last probably three or four I wish it would. <laughs> so this is really fun, um, and we appreciate that you took the time to go through these and, and give your expert eye to all of these fun sayings. But we want to wrap up with something that's probably a little bit more valuable, despite maybe not being quite as fun. And what that is, what do you think the weather is going to be doing here for the rest of the summer? Yeah, so now uh, certainly a warm June and July uh, behind us. Uh, right now, models and, and climate signals are coming together to really kind of continue much of what we've seen. I think a good chance of above average temperatures here in August. There could be some elevated precipitation above average, maybe across the southern tier of counties, at least that's the way it's looking right now. Uh, maybe not across the north where we've now had drought conditions develop in northwest, much of west central and, and uh, northeast Ohio, at least abnormally dry, but some areas that are certainly showing some drought and, and crop stress uh, through the month of July. Um, so August, yeah, looking warmer than average. And I think as we head into the fall, I would expect uh, warmer than average conditions to continue. Uh, we do have a La Nina watch up. Uh, so that a couple things to keep in mind with La Ninas, they typically increase the amount of tropical systems, hurricanes, tropical storms in the Atlantic. So we know, you know, one or two big storms in September and October can really dump a lot of rainfall in the area. So we'll be watching for that in the fall. But La Nina, if it does develop, La Nina being tropical sea surface temperatures in, along the equator in the Pacific, that'll change largely our wintertime pattern. And it's often uh, wetter than average during La Nina winters here in the Ohio Valley. So once again, I, I wouldn't expect the drought conditions that we're seeing right now to continue past uh, you know, much into 2021. If, if not eroded much sooner than that. Well, um, I think you kind of indicated that last time you were on that we might have, uh, especially later fall, a little bit wetter. So looks like that's still predicted. We'll just keep an eye on things and maybe not predict the weather based on woolly worms this winter. <laughs> But thanks, Aaron. This was a lot of fun, and Indeed. we'll probably have you back on in a month or two for more of a harvest outlook. Yeah, looking forward to it. We, we'll have a little bit better idea of our harvest outlook, and uh, I don't know, who knows, maybe we will start taking a look at those woolly worms this fall. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.